the Making Sense of Life podcast number 29. According to J.K. Rowling, life is difficult and complicated and beyond anyone's total control. The humility to know that will enable you to survive its vicissitudes. The Making Sense of Life podcast will not only empower you to navigate through a fast-changing world, but also to grow in body, mind and spirit. Inward change precedes outer transformation. As the ancient Greek author Plutarch once said, what we achieve inwardly will change outer reality. This podcast is sponsored by Logos Medical Legal. Sunil also works privately with senior leaders. Go to drsunil.com forward slash corporate to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Making Sense of Life podcast with me, Sunil Raheja. Today's conversation is a continuation of our previous podcast, looking at the book by Chris Wright called The God I Don't Understand. It's great to have you here with us, Chris, again. Thanks, Sunil. It's nice to be back. And we'll discuss it. If you didn't listen to it to the last podcast, I'd really encourage you to go back to that, where we looked at making sense of life and the suffering that we face and what the Bible has to say about that. Well, today's podcast, we're going to talk about a small subject about the end of the world and what, what, that, what that's all about. But before we do, I'm just going to talk, say a few words about Chris and, what, and uh, the organisation that he's a part of called Langham Partnership International that seeks to equip and train church leaders in understanding and applying the Bible in their own and their congregation's lives. And Chris, as I was sort of saying to you, it's a very odd thing, really, because surely your organisation is about helping church leaders understand and apply the, apply the Bible in their lives. Well, shouldn't Christians be doing that anyway? And shouldn't church leaders be doing that anyway? Yeah, you, you'd have thought so, Sunil. Um, the, the challenge is, though, that uh, Langham Partnership works in what we like to call the majority world, that is, um, outside the West, in Africa, Asia, Latin America, the Pacific, Central Europe, and so on. And in many of those places, um, people are coming to faith in Christ with very little background knowledge at all uh, of the Bible or anything to do with Christianity. And so sometimes in very young churches, um, people end up becoming pastors, sometimes because they're the, just the, the village leader or the school teacher or something, um, but they've got no real ability to understand what the Bible is, uh, what the books of the Bible are, what the story is, and so on. So what what Langham is trying to do is to help um, people in that situation, both men and women, to A, to, to really understand the Bible for themselves, and B, to be able to communicate it in relevant ways to their people, not just to understand it for themselves, but to preach and teach it in such a way that the church can grow more in depth and be more effective in society. But it's not just a problem in in the, in the majority world. I think it's it's around the world oh, as well. Yeah, it's it's a global problem, no doubt. But uh, if we're talking about the church, let's say in Britain or uh, any Western country, there are resources that pastors can get hold of. There are training courses. There are seminaries. There are places that they can go and study and learn. Of course, seminaries do exist in the majority world as well. But they reckon that only about 10% of those who are doing pastoring work in the majority of world churches ever actually can go to seminary. Mm. So a huge number of pastors are out there trying to preach and teach the Bible and needing to have resources or books 
and training and uh, because I mean to put it them. to put it very simplistically, the Bible is is a tough book to understand. Oh, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You, you you can't just pick it up and and yeah. just start reading from page That's, one from Genesis one and yeah, you could do you that. could do that. And it's, it, it's not a bad thing to do, but uh, but it, it certainly it doesn't. It's not an easy book to, to immediately get hold of. Uh, and if pastors are going to be serious about trying to preach and teach from the whole of the Bible, um, then it's more like a library of books rather than just one single book. OK, so what we're going to talk about today is this whole issue about what happens when we die and and the end of the world. And we're going to try and cover that in about 30, 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah. um, Hopefully that's... the world won't have ended by then. <laughs> but, you know, we all have these questions at the back of our minds, but obviously life is busy, life, you know, all sorts of priorities and pressing deadlines and things to do. We, we tend to sort of shove it to the back of our minds and just to, to get on with, with whatever needs to be done on a particular day. Um, you know, we have that phrase, don't we, is, is being t- uh, so heavily minded that, that, you're, that you're no earthly good. Well, I hope our conversation can show that thinking about aspects of eternity and what happens when we die and what life is about mm. um, can actually make us make the most of this life and make yeah. the most of the things that need to be done today and yeah, this week yeah, and, right. yeah. and, and so yeah. on. Um, in our last um, interview, we, we talked a lot about the death of Christ and why that's so central. Um, but the death of Christ didn't just end with a death; mm-hmm. it led to a resurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe a good place to start, if, you know, as we try to understand what happens with the end of the world, is to try and understand about this issue of the resurrection. It's a very good place to start because, um, in some ways, the end of the world is a is a, a mistaken expression because the way the Bible describes it is not so much an end as a, as a new beginning. Uh, it's, it's, it's the end of an old world of sin and evil, but it's the beginning uh, of a whole new life and world and creation. And the way the Gospels describe the resurrection of Jesus is that he is, in a sense, the forerunner of that. His resurrection uh, is the entry into history of that new creation of God. So let's get this clear. So Jesus died on the cross. Mm-hmm. And he was. What does what does resurrected mean? Well, first of all, what it doesn't mean, it does not mean just that he came back to life only, mm. in the sense that somebody is resuscitated. Mm. Uh, I mean, there are other stories in the Bible of people like Lazarus, uh, people uh, in in the Old Testament who, having recently died, uh, were brought back to life, but they presumably died again. They were brought back to this life, to mortal life. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, there was a, a resuscitation. Resurrection is not that Jesus died and came back, but Jesus died and went on. He went on to a new level of life and existence. So he God didn't just come back him from the dead yeah, to some, a new life. Because some people talk as well that he that he he he, he lived on in 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 the memory of the early disciples. Oh, and, right, yeah, and those kind of things. Well, yeah, that's that I think just doesn't make sense of the evidence. Uh, and in any case, is not what the apostles said or what the uh, the early Jewish authorities thought that the apostles were saying, because that that's true for any of us. You know, I, my father lived on in my memory for a long time after I did. Still does, you know, but that doesn't mean that he's alive. It doesn't mean he was resurrected. Mm. Uh, if if the apostles, the, the first disciples of Jesus, had gone out into Jerusalem and said to the authorities, hey, you crucified Jesus, but you know what? He's still living in our hearts. He's still mm. alive in our minds. Those authorities are, oh, that's that's nice. That's, that's sweet. That's sweet. That's quaint. How, yeah. how, that must be really lovely for you, just so long as he's really dead. Mm. 
Mm. So the idea that, that resurrection simply means a kind of ongoing spiritual memory existence in the followers, like some people say Elvis lives, you know. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that is simply nonsense. What, what Peter said um, uh, on, on, in one, of the, one of the first one, disciples, one of the first disciples when they were Peter and John were hauled into the Jewish court because they had healed a man in the name of Jesus, a man who was a cripple. Um, had been paralyzed from birth and, and in the name of Jesus they had healed him and the court said we can't deny that because he was standing there running around leaping up and down mm. and standing at the back of the court so they said we cannot deny what's happened and Peter said yes well you've seen a man healed we've seen a man raised, raised God from, has raised this man so from the dead physically have, raised from physically, the dead yes. so it's not a reincarnation no. not a resuscitation no. but a full bodily bo bodily and more than bodily and more than body you see right. if you again when we read those and I urge people who are struggling with this to read the gospel accounts of themselves because they're 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 very insistent on this that when Jesus appeared to his disciples after his death he went out of his way to show them that he was physically real mm. first of all he stands in their midst on the evening of resurrection and they thought he was a ghost as you would Mm. They, they thought he was an apparition, uh, that their memories were playing tricks. This was a hallucination. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Uh, a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Touch me, he said. Feel me. And, and so he made himself open to physical touch. And then Luke says, this is Luke chapter 24, when they still did not believe him because they were so afraid, he said, have you got anything to eat? Mm. And they gave him some boiled fish. And he ate fish in their mm. presence. Now, a ghost doesn't eat fish. And then John tells another story on another occasion that uh, after they'd been fishing all night by the Sea of Galilee, they came in and there was Jesus on the shore and he'd lit a fire and he'd baked bread and they roasted the fish and they had breakfast together yes. in the early morning light. Yes. So that's not ghosts Ghost, around yes. the place. So he was fully physical, but in some transcendent sense, hyperphysical, if that's the yes. right word. Because he was able to appear or disappear, locked doors were no barrier to him. So clearly he was in a, a dimension of life which transcends the physical dimensions that are the limitations of our knowledge, which is, you know, three dimensions yes. of space plus time. That's all we can conceive of. Yes. But Jesus was in that, Yes. but he was transcending it. And so there's something then, so, so there's this, as it were, new as it were realm of existence that, that jesus has in his, his resurrected body mm. so he dies the bible talks then obviously let's let's personalize it to ourselves in terms of death what happens when we die well from the bible from the bible's point of view um god is the creator of every human person and every human person is known to god and the bible affirms that when a human person dies they do not cease to exist. The body, mm. um, the, 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 physical cells, body the physical body may rot in the grave, did go back to dust or to worms, or may be burnt up in the fire, or fall in the sea and be eaten by fish. You know, our bodies in that sense are destructible, they are mortal. But the person as person is known to God, mm. um, and, and therefore will be, as it were, kept by God until that day of resurrection which the bible speaks about now in between that physical death and that day of resurrection 
the Bible gives us a number of pictures of that, a number of, I think, perhaps metaphors is the idea. One is that of sleep. Um, okay. In other words, when we fall asleep, we are not conscious of the passage of time mm. between falling asleep and waking up the next morning. We may dream a bit, yes. but basically when we're in a deep sleep, we have passed as we're out of the consciousness of the passing of the minutes and the hours. Yes. So there is a sense in which death can be compared to sleep, and it yes. is in the Bible and several the times. Phrase it's used. Several times used. But another phrase that is used is of going to be with Jesus for those mm. who are trusting in Jesus, yes. which means that one is safe, that you are in a place where you are known and loved and safe. And accounts of people who have been near death or who have died or have been, as it were, been able to talk about what they're seeing and thinking as they die, uh, it is often be described as an experience of peace and mm. of the presence of Jesus and of going into the presence of Jesus. Yes. Now, that's not quite the same thing as, quote, going to heaven. No. no it's yes. it's, it's, it's a, a state, the Bible, well, Christian theologians have talked about it as the interim state. Yes. The state in between physical death and history, which may have happened, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago or yesterday, yeah. you know, because we've been living for a long time as a human race, and, quotes, the end of the world, the return of Christ, the resurrection. And in that intermediate state, um, the Bible says, A, nobody gets lost. No. God knows everybody. Every single person. And secondly, those who are in Christ, those who are who have been saved by Christ, are safe in Him. Yes. Uh, and will be so for all eternity. So we're in a safe place yes. with Him. And so, in some amazing and wonderful way, the resurrection of Jesus is intimately connected with our with our death, whenever that will be, and people who have and, died, and our resurrection, and our own resurrection. Yes. And the Bible talks. About about we, we we know about the first coming of of, of Jesus mm -hmm. uh, as a baby in the manger mm -hmm. two thousand years ago, but talks about him coming back and it talks about a personal, visible, and glorious return of Christ. Yes, yes, and, the, uh, and how that's yeah. connected with, oh, it with, is. with all it's, of our, it's, our lives see, and deaths. It's yeah. all part of one story. I mean, this, right. the, the important thing is to see that the Bible is not just a book full of. Uh, teachings or sayings or rules or promises. The Bible is fundamentally a story and it tells this narrative from creation when all was good, the fall which introduced evil and sin, the coming of God into the world in the person of his son Jesus who then absorbs and takes that evil upon himself in mm. his death and suffers the consequences of evil but defeats it on mm. the cross. And so because he has defeated evil, God raises him from yes. death. So death, which is the ultimate enemy, has been defeated Did. in the resurrection of Christ. Right, yes. And that's not the end of the story. Because then it says, and having defeated death, Christ, in a sense, returns to his father, the ascension, uh, after the resurrection. But, as the angel said to the, the disciples uh, on that day of ascension, this Jesus, whom you have seen going up, will also in like manner return. Yes. In other words, he will be visible, he will come, and all every eye will see him. So every person on the earth will see him when he returns. Yes. Geometrically, that sounds very strange, but it's, it's, we're, we're moving beyond the... Again, this is where we move beyond the sphere of understanding. Yes. Uh, you know, how can this happen? Well, I don't think it's all going to be played on the CNN or BBC television screen. <laughs> right, yes. you know, 
the God who created this planet, the God who knows every human being, is the God who is capable of making his presence visible to all yes. human beings when Christ returns. So that's a very important theme that comes through the Bible. And the other important theme is that this Jesus, when he returns, is coming to judge mm-hmm. the world, to, to judge the living and the dead, as it mm-hmm. says there. And that that judgment is actually good news. Mm-hmm. It is. It's it, very it, good news. Why is it good news? Because well, it, it sounds bad news, Again, it? in the public culture, yeah. that judgment... And oh, yeah. It, it sounds... but, but in popular culture, we know jolly well that when people get away with evil... Mm. We get very cross. We don't. Yeah. We we think it is not fair if people can do evil and never pay. And for we it. talked about this in the previous podcast, didn't we? We talked yes. in, in a lot more depth. We yeah. did a bit. And so when I mean, one of the things is interesting, if you if you watch the, a news program, it's all, it's always very sad. Mm. Um, if there's been a court case and somebody has been convicted at last of the murder of some yes. loved one, you will sometimes hear the bereaved relatives after the court case is over. They will say something like. Now we can sleep easy. Now, yeah. now we know that justice has been done. Mm-hmm. You know, now we can put this to rest, because there is something, um, and I don't mean this in the wrong sense, but there is something satisfying about the exercise of justice. We, we, there seems to be something deep within us. It's not a spirit of vengeance, because no. sometimes these people are very forgiving. They, they may have forgiven, but there's some kind of closure. There's a closure which says mm-hmm. justice has been done. And the person who did wrong has been confronted with that wrong uh, and has been made to pay for that wrong. Yes. And the person who was wronged, in a sense, has been vindicated. Mm. And that's what the doctrine of the last judgment is saying. It is saying God will not allow things to be swept under the carpet forever. Yes. God will not allow the wicked to get away with it forever. Yes. God will not allow the oppressed and the suffering and the trampled on to be trampled on forever because we see so there will much. come a day of reckoning yes. and yeah. and that is good news evil will not have the last word yes. evil yeah. will not ultimately especially win. in our world where we see evil so often appearing to be prospering yeah, and to be doing right. and, and, and think there's something deep within us which which longs for this to be true that's why that's why so much literature and so many movies particularly the old sort of classic movies with this great struggle of good and evil mm-hmm kind of have to have a happy ending you know yes not always but basically in the end we long in a sense i know it's too simplistic we want the good guys to win and the bad guys to mm. to be dealt with um now life isn't as simple as that no but at the end of the day god is the utterly perfect judge he's not a hollywood movie director no um no. nothing's going to you know fool him um he knows he knows everything. He knows every he, he thought. Knows, he knows every every deed. Everything. He knows the sin of the sinner, but he also knows the pain of the one who's been sinned against. He knows not only what people do, but why they do it. So he knows the motives of the heart. He knows the extenuating circumstances. He he knows everything that a human judge would long to know. Yes. In order to make righteous judgment, God knows, and yes. God will be in his ultimate in the judgment day. God will be utterly, utterly just but also utterly merciful and gracious. And it, so that's that's the absoluteness right. of, of the character of God. And nobody on Judgment Day will say, that's unfair. Mm. How would you respond, though, Chris, when, if people say to you, though, well, there are so many religions in the world, there are people who've never heard of Christ, there are mm-hmm. people who uh, know very little about the Bible, mm-hmm. uh, they've never had any contact with mm-hmm. it. Um, how, does that, how do you square that circle? Well... First of all, what I don't say is that somehow everybody who's, you know, um, 
never heard of Christ is going to be condemned because they didn't believe in Jesus if they'd never heard of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's, some Christians would say that. Oh, yeah, but they sometimes would caricature that, or rather the opponents of Christianity would caricature that as saying, so what you're saying is that people get sent to hell through no fault of their own. They didn't know, and, so, and yet they still get judged. Mm. That's not the way the Bible describes it. In fact, Paul faces that in Romans 1 and 2, uh, where he says that those who, as he puts it, sin without the knowledge of the law, that is, who were Gentiles and never knew the laws that the Jews yes. had, they would be judged yes. without the law. They, nobody will be judged on the basis of something they didn't know. No. Yes. What we will be judged on is what we did know, yes. the light that we had, yes. and still sinned against. So, and what the Bible makes clear then is that is that all of us have this deep sense that we're not right. Indeed, uh, we, we have. It's, it's almost a universal human sense that something's wrong, and something is wrong with the world, and something is wrong yeah. with me. Because I don't even live up to my own standards, yeah. let, let alone God's standards. Absolutely, nor do I. Yeah. That's, that's where the gospel is such good news, because it is saying, yes, there is judgment to come, yes, it would be absolutely right and just, but God has made a way hmm. for us to stand on that day of judgment in the righteousness of Christ, because he died for us yeah. and therefore he can take away the sin for which we would be condemned yes. uh, and give us his righteousness and his perfection. Uh, or the other alternative is that I then try to come in my own righteousness in my own goodness. Yeah, which is a pretty futile thing to do, isn't it? Yes, especially as, 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 as I know that uh, yeah. I, I don't even live up to my own standards. No. I, 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 can, I can try and look good on a particular mm. day, but... Yeah, the, 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 I have no consistency. The kind of calculational approach to the Day of Judgment is is, is a forlorn one, and yet it's and the calculation at a very just, popular just, level is yes, still there. You know, just to say that God will weigh up my good deeds and my bad deeds, and if my good deeds are more are better yeah. than my bad deeds, then I'll go to heaven. Yes, but that's incredibly cruel. Well, and it's certainly not what the Bible says. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's the Santa. Yeah, we instinctively think. Oh that. yeah, oh yeah, and it's the Santa Claus thing that we teach our children. You know, yeah. Santa will bring you presents if you've been good. Yes. And that then translates into the big Santa Claus in heaven, the big God will, will get you into heaven if you've been good. That's the complete opposite of what the gospel yes. says. The gospel says none of us are good enough. All of us sin. Mm-hmm. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The gospel is that God loves us as sinners. sinners. And has and while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for yes. us. So the gospel is not what we can do to deserve salvation. It's what God has done to give it to yes. us. And he's given that to us through the judgment that came upon his son who he exactly. sent. Yeah. Yes. He, he bore, God bore the judgment himself yes. in the person of his yes. son. We talk about more of this, I think it's podcast number eight, we talk about religion and how it's very easy to think in a religious way, just as you said there, is that if we have you know, this idea that God weighs my good deeds against my bad deeds, you know, a bit, bit like an exam, so if the pass marks 51% and I get yeah. 50, then poor yeah. me. Yeah, I've still failed. I've failed, and if I get yeah. 52, that's, and that's incredibly unfair. Yeah, absolutely. And yet that's what we instinctively think, yeah. because I think, and, and we've talked about this in the previous podcast as well, is that um, it, it doesn't make sense of the evil of the world. It, it's, it's, it's too simplistic it is. To, to make sense of, of, of the world that we see around us. Okay, but, let, but let's carry on because we're, we're talking about the end of the world and, we're t- yeah, and, and let's and, move on now to, mm-hmm. to the whole issue of, of what happens when we die in terms of, of heaven. Mm-hmm. Now, again, the popular understanding of heaven mm-hmm. is sitting on a cloud playing harps mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem to be all one long sort of singing songs all the time. Yeah, yes. Songs of praise forever. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this is, it is such a caricature because it really, it, it doesn't, it doesn't reflect what the Bible says. Um, 
it's 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 based on all sorts of medieval art you yes. know pictures of heaven and hell um, cathedrals and we haven't really grown from that i mean it, stained it, glass it, windows yes, yes. Uh, all that kind of stuff which yes. produces this fantasy world that heaven is somehow you know a, a cloud paradise in which we float around and that is just a complete nonsense yes. certainly not what the bible teaches yes no um the way the Bible describes heaven and earth is, first of all, that heaven and earth describes the whole of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, through our fall, through disobeying and rebelling against God, the earth becomes a place of human sinfulness and rebellion. And there is a sense in which heaven becomes a dwelling place of God and, in some ways, a synonym for God. You know, Heaven is almost used in, in Jewish language for God. That's where he dwells. Because that is where his will is done. That That is where the, the angels do his will. So heaven and earth, in a sense, become separate because of sin. Um, and so God says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. So mm -hmm. there's that separation. But what the Bible longs for and looks forward to is when Isaiah says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. In other words, that God would return mm -hmm. and put things right on the earth in such a way that God could again dwell with us in his right. creation. Yes. Uh, which is the way the Psalms envisage it. Psalm 96, for example, pictures the whole of creation rejoicing. It says yes. the trees, the fields, the seas sing for joy, the mountains clap their hands. The whole of creation rejoicing. Why? Because God is coming yes. to judge, to put things right. Yes. And so and the, come to dwell with us. To come to dwell with us. Yeah. The, the, the word Emmanuel, which is the name, one of the sort of, titles that is given to Jesus and it comes from the book of Isaiah. Emmanuel means El is God and Emmanu is with us, with us in Hebrew. So Emmanuel means with us God, not us with God somewhere else, mm. but God coming to, with us to us to cleanse, to purify the earth, to destroy that which is evil. So we're not going up to heaven, but God is coming down to us. Well, that's the way the Bible ends. I mean, this is what astonishes me about so many Christians, is that they imagine that that the whole Bible is a story about us going to heaven. Mm. When that's that kind of language is very rarely used. I mean, it's talk, God, Jesus talks about going back to his Father, and there's the language of ascension, going up, because Fair that's enough. where heaven is. Um, and he does talk about us going to be where he is, where I am, you will also be. Paul says that he wishes to go and be with Christ. Um, if he dies, he knows he'll be with Christ. But the ultimate vision of the Bible is not of us going to heaven, mm. but of God coming here. You look at Revelation 21. The last book of the, the Bible. The last book of the Bible, the last two chapters of the Bible, mm. John's great final vision, the last great picture of the Bible is, then I saw... A voice from heaven, the city of God coming down out of heaven, beautiful, like a bride dressed for her bridegroom. Uh, it's a picture of God himself coming to dwell with human beings. And the text specifically says that then the dwelling place of yes. God will be with man. And so if I've if I'm missing a loved one mm. who's died and, and mm. gone, says what's fascinating about this is that often we think, well, I'll be re reunited with my loved one, which which mm -hmm. may very well be true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But actually, what the longing of my heart really is, is to be united with God. Yes. Well, being reunited with our loved ones is not a vain hope. I, it is, yeah. I think, quite biblical. Um, because, again, this is where the biblical view of the person, the human person, is different, let's say, from a Hindu or Buddhist view, where the, the, the end, the person just dissolves like a drop in the ocean. Um, 
the Bible regards every individual human being in our relationships as valuable to God. And so not only will you and I have our own distinct identity mm. in that in the new creation, so in a sense, just like have, Jesus did. We're having a conversation now. We will know yes. about this conversation That's right. in eternity uh, as well. And we will know each other. I mean, this is the, yeah. the disciples recognized Jesus, the risen yes. Jesus. Yeah. He was the same Jesus as the Jesus they knew when they'd walked around with him on earth, but yet he was different. Yes. So, yes, we will be reunited with our loved ones, but not in a sense by us going off to some unearthly spiritual ghostly heaven where we'll all be souls yes but by the resurrection of the body that god will make our lowly bodies as paul says in philippians he will make our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body wow. the resurrection body of jesus is the model the prototype yes for for our resurrection so this is quite mind-blowing stuff to try to, to try to grasp you've got a lovely story about two twins in 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 <laughs> In their mother's womb, to well, try explain this a little bit more. Yeah. yeah, I mean, okay, two things. One, what we're trying to explain is something which, in a sense, is beyond our conception. Mm. Because if we're talking about something which is beyond the space-time universe... So a bit like trying to explain to a, a man who never seen before what the colour blue what, is what like. What colour blue is like, yes, exactly. Uh, that's one side of the problem, is that we're trying to explain something that is beyond our conception. And, and, and the second thing is that in... Paul's letter to the, to the Romans in chapter 8, he talks about this creation, this old creation that we live in, groaning. Mm. right? But then he says, yes, but it's groaning with the pains of childbirth. Mm. So what he's suggesting there is that this creation itself is like the womb of the new creation. The so new this, creation this world that we're living in is, 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 is like a womb for, an, for the an new another creation. existence. Yeah. Now that's a very interesting metaphor. And so it led me to this idea, you see, um, if you can imagine two babies, twins in the womb, um, and it's totally imaginary, but one, one says to the other, you know, hey, you know, do you believe in all this stuff uh, that we hear about light mm. um, and air and, and that we can breathe and, and colour? I hear these words, but, you know, and we're told that after birth, we're going to be in a world of light and air and colour. Do you believe all that? And the other baby says, no, 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 no. That, that, that's all just mythology, you know. Yeah. All we, we can see is darkness yeah, and there's nothing else. Yeah. Where's your evidence for that, okay? You know, amniotic fluid, the womb, that's all there is. That, that's the sum total. When you're born, you're born, finished. That's the end, okay? There's nothing after birth. It's just, that's, that's, that's it. That's it, that's yes. It. Birth's the finish. Birth's the end. There's no light, there's no air. That's all just mythology yes. to keep you happy. Just enjoy life in the womb while you can, because yes. when it's finished, you're finished. And that's the analogy that obviously we think with it, with this life as well. Well, what you, I'm trying to say with that analogy is that babies in the womb have no way, they're fully functioning human beings. They've mm. got brains, they've got sensories, they, they've got eyes, they've got noses, and they've got lungs. They've got all the organs that they need Mm. <laughs> but while they're in the womb, they're in a context in which they have no way of conceiving light and color and air Yes. until they're in it. Mm. And what I'm trying to say is, in this life, we have no way of conceiving what yeah. it will be like to be resurrected bodies living in God's new creation. And we, but we have inklings of that, don't we? I think Lewis talks right. about that we have yeah. longings that never are fulfilled in we this do. life. We have longings that aren't fulfilled. We have inklings. We've got the revelation of God in the Bible who says, look, there is a new creation coming, mm. and here are some pictures of it. You know, we get pictures of it in Revelation and Isaiah 65. Yes. We have the resurrection of Jesus and all the evidence for that. So God says, I'm giving you as much as I can yes. to tell you there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. 
you will live in that new heaven and new earth. I will be there with you. Yes. It will be an environment which will be totally safe, um, which will be richly fulfilling and satisfying, in which all the things that spoil life now, suffering, tears, death, evil, oppression, they will all be gone, they'll be destroyed, and in which there will be full satisfaction of human life uh, eternally. And to me, that is a, such a gloriously rich prospect, mm. far better than just going to heaven when you die yeah. with some of this picture of heaven as a ghostly soul place yes. where we float around so okay so it's not that so it, it, it it's it's nothing to do with on clouds mm. uh, playing harps but the other idea we have at times is maybe it's just one long holiday mm. <laughs> and holidays are nice yeah, holidays yeah. are good fun but a holiday for ever and ever <laughs> yeah i think that's that's partly because sometimes the language of of the new creation is described as rest isn't it yes. you know, going to the, going to rest eternal rest and there is a sense in which that will be rest but rest from the experience of oppression and suffering and work as being toilsome mm. um when the Bible describes Israel being given rest in the land, what it meant was... Israel as a people of Israel, God Israel in, in, the people in, the, yes, in the Old Israel Testament. Israel in the Old Testament, yes, thank you. Um, it sometimes says that God gave them rest from their enemies round about. In other words, they weren't being attacked anymore. They weren't having to suffer and struggle and fight anymore. They had rest from that. That enabled them then to get on with their work, mm. to, to farm the land, to cultivate their crops, to keep the yes. animals. To, so, yeah, to, to yeah. thrive and That's prosper right. and, and get so, on with life. Yeah. So the picture of the new creation that we have, and certainly in Isaiah 65 and in Revelation 21, 22, is of a place of satisfying work. Yes. So we're going to work. Oh, yeah. People, yeah. people struggle well, with, with, with well, a Monday well, to Friday, yeah, 9 yeah. to 5. Oh, yeah, yeah, but it's not that kind of work. Not, not the sort of work which is a struggle, which is toilsome, which is tedious, um, which is so often frustrating and which is filled with corruption. And, but uh, the kind and of work where you're in the zone, well. where you're fully absorbed, where you lose all sense of time, where yeah. you're, yeah. in a sense, and maybe most happy of, of and all. And where you're being what you know you were created to be. You know, mm. Sometimes people say that. Um, there's that wonderful... Um, you know that movie Chariots of Fire? Yes. Um, where uh, Eric Little is being uh, chastised by his sister because he was missing the prayer meetings. Yes. Because he was off training to run because he was an athlete and uh, mm. he was training for the Olympics. Um, and she thought that he should be going out to work to serve God, you know, on the mission field. Doing something much more That's religious. Right. Exactly. Like. Yeah. And it's he spiritual. says these words to his sister in, in the movie. He says, I know God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. Mm. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Wow, yes. And I think that's a marvellous expression. Because what he's saying is, God made me with this capacity to run fast. Mm. So when I run fast, I'm doing what I was created yeah. for. I'm fulfilling God's pleasure yes. for my life. And that's full flourishing in, yeah. in, in the full sense of the word. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, so therefore, by work, I don't mean just toil, toil. Mm. Uh, but... The satisfaction of being and doing. You see, if you look back to Genesis one, mm, the first, the, the very first, first the first book, book of the Bible, Bible and, and the first, first chapter, chapter, which is the story of creation. In that uh, story of creation, we read of the God who is a working God. He he thinks, he decides, he acts, he plans, he executes, he evaluates, he assesses, and he rests. Yes, marvelous picture of of God. Mm. And then God says, "Now let's make a creature to be like." us like mm. God man made in the image of God. God yes so what is the human being if the human being is made to be like God at the very least we were created to be creative 
to be workers, yes. to be engaged, to be productive. So to create like he creates. Yeah, to yes. be, to, 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 as it were, to release the capacity of creation, mm. the, the fertility of creation, the productivity of creation, to release that and work with it. And I believe that in eternity, in the new creation, that will be one of the most satisfying things, that we will all be able to exercise our fullest potential yeah. and, within and, God's creation. And so we have echoes of that in this life, don't we? If, we, if you look at, um, at what we've achieved as, as, as human beings in terms of um, in science, mm -hmm. in, in art, in sport, in business. Mm. Um, and what you're saying then is that it, it doesn't just finish with death. Yeah, I, I, that's what I do think. Um, I mean, there is a theory, you know, that people have that the whole of the earth is just going to be burnt up and destroyed and mm. obliterated and yes. all of human civilization and will so be... And so the separation, except, except all the religious been. stuff and all the spiritual stuff will well, stay. Well, yes, exactly, yeah. But um, the language of fire that you have in one of the closing books of the Bible, uh, the second letter of Peter, speaks about fire, but I think it's the purging fire that's meant. In other words, refining fire, like the fire that burns up the dross or the rubbish and leaves what is really precious. Um, and again, in that last book of the Bible, in Revelation 21, John says that what he saw was the kings of the earth bringing their glory, their wealth, yes. their splendor into the city of God. Now, so what, that's, if you like, the Bill Gates and yeah, the... Well, and, uh, yeah, no, 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 it's all... And, yeah. and the presidents and the prime ministers. Well, and the, yeah, but I don't think it means just them. I mean, what is the glory of yeah. kings and governments? The glory of civilizations is the product of human beings. I mean, wh yeah. what's the glory of the British Empire? It's, it's not Queen Victoria only. Mm -hmm. It's all that, um, as a culture, we were able to produce and to do in, as a gift to humanity in some sense, including art, architecture, sure. music, yes. literature, um, railways. I mean, yeah. human beings are capable of producing so much, and that's what creates civilizations. And I think what that text is saying is that all the wonders of human creativity and glory, the splendor of it, will be brought into the new creation, purged and cleansed of sin and evil. I yes. mean, we also know that all human achievement and human empires are also riddled with corruption and violence and greed yes. and lust and sin. Yeah, of course yes. they are. Yes. There's the good and there's the evil yes. in us all and in all human civilization, that which is wonderful and exalting and that which is degraded and horrible. Mm. All the horrible stuff will be sucked out, destroyed, taken away. Yes. And what human beings have been capable of in our creativity, I believe God will redeem that. Yes. It won't just... I can't imagine what that'll be like. I really can't. Yes. But I believe... Words are not enough to explain it. Yeah. But I... Yeah. Let's put it negatively. I don't believe that the God who created this wonderful world and who created human beings who have been capable of so much fantastic civilizations throughout millennia... Mm. I don't just mean the British Empire. I'm doing to go back to the Incas and the you know, Aboriginals. All the wonderful achievements of humanity. I don't believe that God's intention is simply to toss the whole lot into yes. some cosmic incinerator and say, stuff that, we're finished, I don't want that anymore, yes. let's start all over again. That I don't think that's the way the God of the Bible will ultimately deal with the, yes. with human history yes. and with the, our creation. Wow. And so it's somehow, is it, is it, is it what history is moving towards this great climax, yes. where if you look at all the progress 
and obviously there's been a lot of evil, but there's a lot of good that mm-hmm. we've achieved. Mm-hmm. As you said, all the evil we purged out and all the mm-hmm. sin we purged out. Mm-hmm. But somehow that all that will will be brought together by God. I mean, let's 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 also not go down this road of thinking that this will be a human achievement. You know, that we will build the kingdom of God on earth. No, you know that sort of mythology as well. That somehow we'll all build the kingdom of God. No, no, no. This is God's action. Because the, the hero end. at the centre is God, and not exactly. Us. And yeah. and the hero at the centre is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He mm-hmm. tells us very clearly in one of His parables that history will be like wheat and weeds. Mm-hmm. In other words, like a field. The world is like a field. And in it, there will be wheat. There will be that which is good, which is growing. There's also weeds which are growing together. Mm. And if you ask about human civilization, human history, are things better than they were 100 years ago? Of course, we'd say yes. But we'd also have to say that things are worse. There, mm. there, there is some, uh, you know, there is a kind of simultaneous progress of that which is good and constant depravity of that which is evil. And I think. Well, personally, I think that in Western culture and Western civilization, we are seeing something of the climax of evil. Yes. Um, we are seeing almost the collapse of systems, of, stand, of systems, structures, values. You know, we talk about living in a post-truth society. Mm. Well, what does that mean? It means that we now think it's okay to tell lies, you know? Yes. Um, politicians can say, well, I never meant it or it was only a joke or whatever else. Mm. We, we seem to be moving almost to a, a kind of culture which is imploding upon itself. Yes. It's lost its moral compass. Um, and the Bible says that's what happens when human beings go after their own gods and their own idols. Yes. In the end, the idols will come to rule you uh, and you will get the kind of society, the kind of government that you actually want. And, yes. and human life will become intolerable. Yes, it'll be self-destructive. Self-destructive. But at the same time, there's so much goodness. There are people doing good things. Yes. So, so, so we've got that excitement, that expectation that God will, as it were, redeem this this world and and bring out all the good and all the progress that we've made and take out mm. all the evil mm. now people are listening some people maybe they're driving to work they've got it you know today's another day they've got things to get on with get on with a practical life yeah yeah exactly and we've talked about some you know some pretty high level stuff how should we live well, you see, to me, with all um, the yeah. you know, day-to-day practicalities exactly. and deadlines and things to do, and this is exactly you know, shopping so, to do, yeah. and you know, get the milk and all this kind yeah. of stuff. You yeah. see, this is where I think Sunil it actually gets even more exciting because what this is saying is that all that ordinariness of life mm. is actually subsumed into a bigger story, mm-hmm. a story that is bigger than just the ordinariness of life. And what most of us actually want is something that makes sense of life on a big scale. We want to feel part of something that's bigger than ourselves, some narrative, some some way in which my life and all the little bits of my life will fit into a bigger picture that will make sense, will mean I've contributed something. And I think the biblical story gives us that because it says, for those of us who are in the Lord Jesus Christ and who are participating in what God is doing in the world, my little life and all its tiny little bits and pieces will and have orderliness as well. Yes, will have a place in the same way as this body that I'm in now has got billions of cells, apparently. Mm. And you could take a wee piece of my skin and say, "What's the use of that? Chuck it away." Well, okay, but that that bit of skin, that bit of bone, that bit of blood, that tiny little neuron firing in my brain. Mm is part of a reality that is multiple times bigger than itself. Yes. But it's important. It's important, yes. And if you take away enough of them, I'll be dead. Okay? Yes. You know? So 
or like pixels on a screen. You know, you look at a television yeah, screen, example, yeah. and 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 it's got billions of little dots of light. That's the picture is made up of billions of little yeah. pieces of light and color, and any one of them could say, "Well, I don't matter. I'm just ordinary. My life is important." Yeah. But actually, when they are fitted into a picture which is designed by an intelligent computer expert yeah. or even somebody typing on the screen like me. It makes sense because it's so part I'm of a bigger picture. I'm, I'm connected. connected. I'm connected yeah. to and the I'm story. part of, as you said, a bigger story. Exactly. My life matters. Yeah. I have yeah. inherent value because that's, I'm connected to me me God. That's yeah. why the Bible, to me, it makes sense as a story because mm. it gives me a past in creation. It gives me a future in the new creation. And then it says, now then, how am I going to live in the light of that story? Yes. So how will I live today mm. in such a way that my life reflects the values that I know will be there in the new creation? Mm. If there's not going to be greed and corruption in the new creation, then I should not be greedy and corrupt today. If there's going to be no lies and thieving in the new creation, then mm. I mustn't steal and thieve today. So, in other words, it's it's giving me a compass, an orientation for my life, which is derived both from the past, what God has done for me through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've been redeemed, I've been saved by him, so I'm going to live for him as my Lord, as his disciple and follower. It also gives me a story to live for, Forward. There is a future, there is a, a forward-looking direction to my life which gives me meaning and purpose within a story yes. which ultimately has a good ending yes. because it will be it will not a good ending because I've created it. No. You know, I did it my way sort of thing. <laughs> you know, the Frank Sinatra sure, song. Yeah, yeah. But ultimately, because I did it God's way and God will bring the ending in God's time when God says that's it mm. and when God brings in the new creation. Uh, and living in that story, I think, yeah. gives enormous meaning. So it's about to life remembering now. about who we really are, then. Yeah, who we are, where we came from, and where we're going. Okay. Wow, that's amazing, Chris. Thank you for really beginning to open up. I mean, it, it's yeah. it's a huge topic. Yeah, uh, sure the, is. The book is the God I don't understand, and mm. we've been talking about the last section about mm. the end of the world and end of time. But thank you for Chris for showing us that these are big topics, and there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding about them. But if mm. we can really grasp what the Bible is saying yeah. in its truth, it gives us enormous hope and confidence, yeah. not just for the future, but for the here and now. So thank mm. you, Chris, for helping us to make sense of life in what is an increasingly complex and challenging world. That's right. Thank you, Celine. Thank you. If you've enjoyed today's conversation you can get all the show notes for this episode from drsunil.com and could you do us a favor head over to itunes to rate the program this is by far the best way to get this content into the hands of those who need it most also do you think about who you could pass details of the podcast on to don't forget to check out the blog for more great content that's drsunil.com helping you to make sense of life in a challenging and complex world. Until next time, goodbye for now.